use my regards to Broadway. Remember me to Harold Square. Tell all the folks on 42nd Street that I will soon be there. Tell them of how I'm yearning to mingle with the old time throng. Hello and welcome to Sick Transit Gloria here on WNYU 89.1 FM. I am Anna and Sam is not here this week, but I am joined by one of our assistant producers, Teresa Zan. Hey, Teresa. Hi. And we are also joined in the studio today by Dr. Kent Underwood, who is the head of the Avery Fisher Center for Music and Media here at New York University. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Thanks for having me. So the Avery Fisher Center is part of the main library, Bopes Library, just a few blocks away from where we are talking. And it is the music collection, which includes both print material, but also a very large collection of recorded music and and video is there as well. Um, and I asked you here today because I hear that you know a thing or two about music history. I try to know as much as I can, which is an infinitesimal amount of what there is to know. Could you talk a little bit about what you have studied? I grew up in California and went to school at Stanford, so I studied historical musicology. And I began to hear more and more about um, interesting new developments in New York City. This place called New York City. Where I had, I had never been in person, but of course, every, it's 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 an iconic destination. So you did end up coming here because you're here now. Could yes. So that was so I um I was offered the job at the beginning of 1989, um, and I've been here ever since. So this is your 30th anniversary of being yes. in this position. Wow! Congratulations. Oh, thank you. What was what was the music scene in New York like when you first came here, and how did your academic background sort of affect how you interacted with it? So um, I, I soon became aware that there was both a, a geographical, but more even more importantly, a, a, a cultural divide between on the, in the, on the island of Manhattan between downtown and uptown, and with 14th Street being the the virtual border. I never go above 14th Street. (laughs) Yes, and many people used to say that and still do, I guess. It was the the incubator, and and in some ways the birthplace of genres of music that that are familiar to everybody today, like punk rock emerged in in the 1970s in this area of New York. Free jazz found a, a welcoming home in clubs around here. What were you into? That changed almost from week to week as I encountered music that I, I didn't even know existed. What um, can you say about this? I guess the things that came out of this neighborhood in the time that you were here, um, I guess even in the past 30 years, like... Um, what sort of influence did the music in this neighborhood specifically have on um, the music scene in New York as a whole and sort of the rest of the music world? Some of the forms of music that started here as, as underground efforts with, with very small 
kind of fringe, and it was literally underground in some cases where the, you had to climb stairs going down, but which later broke out and became world famous and, and have entered the popular vocabularies of, of music that every, most everybody is familiar with today. So punk would be a good, a, a classic example of that. So how, do you, how would you say that the music scene has changed in this neighborhood from 89 to 2019? And I guess sort of what perspective might you have to offer as somebody who, you know, has some academic background in music history? What does this microcosm of change say to you? Well, um, so, there, so there are two answers to that. One is that music as far back as we can trace the history of music, it's always on the move because younger artists who want want to become musicians, they get trained, they master the conventions, the techniques of that their teachers show them, but then they get to the point where they want to add something of their own that's original so that there's a natural mechanism from generation to generation that changes music itself over time. So that that is certainly happening and has happened in downtown New York. The the other change is more what's happened in the world around us and particularly with the the real estate market. So what what used to be in a, a very affordable neighborhood where you could plant yourself down and not and live pretty cheaply and do your art without having to worry about the roof over your head or where the next meal is coming from. That's radically changed because now it's almost impossible for a young person, especially with, with, with no prospects except their ambition and imagination, to settle down. So, and, and also a lot of, there is really an unbelievable number of small venues, just they were everywhere. Everywhere you walked at any block seemed to have some kind of club, and a lot of them were kind of ad hoc. So if you were going to tell somebody where to go to find good music around here today, where would you send them? Um, well, er- everybody has their own idea of what good music is. According to you. <laughs> I would, a, a lot of it's in Brooklyn now. So crossing the river, which used to not be anything you, you even thought of doing because there was so much close at home. So these outposts in Brooklyn and Queens that are sometimes very far from convenient subway stops, there's a place called Issue Project Room, which is, which is pretty central in Brooklyn, actually. There's another club called Spectrum, which used to be down on... Um, I think Orchard Street, and they've moved. Brook, they moved recently to Brooklyn as well. So there, there are still are places that are styling themselves as welcoming venues for experimentation. Is there any place that you used to go to when you first came here, or within the first decade that you were in this neighborhood um, that you still go to? Any couple of places that have lasted, sort of with their old character. There's a venue called Roulette, which was on West Broadway, is now in Brooklyn, which is still very active. They were they were one of the principal presenters going back to the early '80s. That's so interesting that things 
I mean, I know things change really quickly in New York, but for that much turnover to happen in this area yeah. so quickly. It did yeah. happen quickly with, within your own lifetime. It's kind of, when you, when you step back and look at it, it's kind of an alarming. Is there anything else that uh, you want to talk about? Aside, like, there's all these changes that you've seen, but is the, you know, things that have changed, well, things that have stayed the same, but. We could, um, we, we could turn back to my work in the library. So. Yeah, actually, so I didn't my, mean to ask you about my, that. My vision of, the libra- of, a, of a music library is a place where that makes a mission of documenting the, the music of your own time and place. And, and, and to preserve it as a legacy for students and historians of the future. So we have a very rich collection in Bope's library and have kept it and we intend to keep it as long as we can. Right, so if people and, want to sonically experience yes, this it's, music it's history. All, it's all, well, I, wouldn't, I won't say it's all there, but a, a very substantial amount is there um, waiting to be discovered and enjoyed. NYU students have done various kinds of academic projects using recordings as as the source material. Like you, if you're writing a history paper, you're, you're generally going to try to consult, you know, newspapers and letters, diaries from that era, which had were eyewitnesses to the event. But with music, the the, the core document, if, if it exists, is the recording of the artists actually playing their own music, and that's that's what we have in the music library. Cool. It's a very cool resource. <laughs> Teresa, do you want to jump in with anything? Um, I think you pretty much covered everything, but I think since we talk a lot about history, one thing that I'm curious is where would you say is the landmark in New York City that has a long music history that still exists today. The iconic building, the, the most iconic building is Carnegie Hall. Which we have yet to do is, an episode which about. Which is a little, <laughs> which opened in um, 18, I forget the, uh, 1890 something. So it's probably the, and it, it's the same, the building is the same. It hasn't been torn down or rebuilt or even renovated in any substantial way. And that, that's a, that's a place everybody all over the world has at least heard of. And for musicians who have reached a certain level of success, it, it's a place to play. It's kind of a, an achievement career-wise to have played at Carnegie Hall. And, they, and it, it's mainly in, they're mainly interested in so-called classical music, but many, many famous, like the Beatles, one of their tours of the United States when they were still performing live played at Carnegie Hall and there have been these legendary uh, jazz concerts over the years back when jazz was the the preeminent form of popular music in the 1930s and 40s all kinds of music has been presented there and and the 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 place itself has a kind of cachet in, in uh, as for its artistic achievement in in the way it curates and presents shows. So that would be number one. Part of the uh, New York's identity as a city compared to other old cities, most other old cities kind of in one way or another preserve their own history. And New York has never really done that. It's it's more, there's a tendency to tear down history and rebuild on top of it. 
So a lot of the historic buildings are gone and been, have been replaced by others or they've, or the, or the activity in the, that took place inside the building might be in the same place, but it might have moved elsewhere. That's a lot of what we talk about on this show. Yes. <laughs> well, that's pretty much everything that I have been wondering about. Um, anything else that you want to mention before yeah, we close well, up? The, so, th so there is, there is a project going on in the library with, that a couple of my colleagues are working on, which is they'll be of interest to you. I think they're 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 actually looking at at the at the 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 architecture and the history of the buildings and trying to to ma do these his, these historical maps to trace and document what went on in the building at between a certain date and the, the between the beginning date and the end date like that is like, so cool like the Fillmore East building we just, just on 2nd Avenue <laughs> it started i think it's it was built as a bank originally and the bank went out and then Fillmore East moved in and then eventually Fillmore East moved out and the building's still there. It's basically the same as it always was. It was erected in the 19th century. Sometimes you find that a, the, uh, the design of the building itself lent itself to music performances. So you have a sequence from decade to decade of different um, organizations that planted themselves in the building and vacated and a new one came in because they had a, a theater design that was suitable for, for uh, artists and audiences to interact. So that's an ongoing project that um, connects the live art to the, the static or, um, architecture in, mm -hmm. in interesting ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Well, thank you so oh, much for coming it in. It's been a pleasure. I wish you'd call my gal Remember, old pal, when you get back home Give my regards to Broadway You have been listening to Sick Transit Gloria here on WNYU 89.1 FM. Thanks for joining us today, and thank you to Teresa and Kent for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, tune in next week, same time, same place, for another episode. And have a good night. <laughs>